In a world where geek is now chic, what was once deemed nerdy or geeky has become fashionable. What used to be odd and different is now part of mainstream culture. The way we consume our entertainment has changed with the advent of new and meaningful technology. Comic books are no longer stories just for kids. They've become all-age entertainment with mature subject matter, rivaling the depth of the very best novelists. They've become a driving force behind a large portion of American entertainment. Costuming has gone from being a small but loyal subculture to a highly visible art form thanks to science fiction and comic book conventions that celebrate cosplay and fandom. Thanks to Marvel, DC, Star Wars, Star Trek, and many others, the movie landscape has changed forever. Through Doctor Who, Game of Thrones, The Walking Dead, and more, once genre shows are now mainstream rating giant. We are a podcast that looks at the comic book culture. We are a podcast that talks about the cosplay community. We are a podcast that can't help but dissect the movies and shows we watch. We are. We are. We are. The Galaxy Cast. Hey folks, welcome to this episode of The Galaxy Cast. I have with me Eric the Artist. I'm a little tired. And I have with me Gary the Stud. And I'm hungry. Between the two of you, we're just in trouble tonight. I don't know what I am. Dopey, I guess. You know, like, if we're going to go, you know, <laughs> dwarves on us here. You, you know? said it. I know, I know. Is there I'm, a tired dwarf? They're sleepy. sleepy. They're sleepy. I guess there, that'd be there's a tired a dwarf. Hungry. No, I don't think there's, there's no. Like, hungry dwarf. <laughs> well, which dwarf ain't hungry? <laughs> that would be all the dwarves, right? <laughs> exactly. At least according to Lord of the Rings, it's every dwarf in the room. So we have quite a bit to talk about tonight. There's there's some things that, that are new in the Star Wars realm. We're going to talk about those. There's some things that are new in the costuming realm. We're going to talk about those, too. Yeah. So we have a lot to cover tonight, and I, I think you're going to enjoy everything we have at least to cover as far as news for you. So we're going to cover an article in Vanity Fair that's about Star Wars The Last Jedi. We're going to cover a rumor about Star Wars Rebels and how that actually plays out. For season four. For season four. And then probably the big topic I think we're going to talk about here in the first segment is this new change that occurred today. Yeah. Actually, yesterday, excuse me. Seismic Phoenix Comic Con. And those who know what I'm talking about are going to know exactly what we're going to be discussing. And I know you're going to want to hear what we have to say about this. Okay, so Star Wars Vanity Fair. There was recently an article in Vanity Fair about Star Wars The Last Jedi. I don't know if it's really an article, but more just a whole bunch of pictures. It's like a photo expose by Anne Leibowitz. Or right. Annie Leibowitz. And, you know, there were covers and there were all sorts of cool photos and whatnot in the actual Vanity Fair story. And it was celebrating the 40th anniversary, kind of, of, of Star, Star Wars, Wars, which, which we is have to today. Is, yes, is today as we're recording. We should be watching Star Wars. But here we are with you, you know, because we love you, our fans. It was it was an interesting set of pictures. I will say that. I say interesting because there's no there's no information behind the photos. Like there is and there isn't. Like there's descriptions, but like Eric said, they're just 
the, uh, the character pieces taken out of context. Right. They're completely out of context, so you have to kind of take that into consideration when you're looking at the photos. So I'm just we're going to talk about a couple of them just because, I mean, it's kind of hard not. So go check these out online. It's not hard to find at VanityFair.com. The, the first photo we're going to talk about, there's a picture of Ray and Luke kind of side by side, and it looks like there's a little hut in the background. I'm sorry I see that hut, but I can't help but think that's like a stone version of Yoda's hut. Oh, totally. I mean, it just totally it's, looks like it's it. Abs- it's even got the little roof opening. And it's the same the size. To come out. Yeah. <laughs> so, when you, so when you become a Jedi Master, you shrink. Apparently, apparently yes. It's Yoda's first home. <laughs> there you go. That's Maybe that's why maybe it's a Jedi temple. If, what if it is? Oh, man. What if that is Yoda's, Yoda's old house? <laughs> Yaddle's still walking around. <laughs> I'm still going to make it. So... <laughs> I kind of like the background look, but obviously we're still on that island, I'm assuming, by the looks of it. You know, one thing I've always kind of noticed about Ray's costume, they're very simple, like bland almost. Have you noticed that? Like even Luke's first costume was more exciting than Ray's. And I hate to be like that, but as a costumer, I'm looking at that going, hmm, bunch of olive pants, a couple of tan shirts, and some wraps around the arm. Ta-da! Yeah. And I'm like, eh, you know, it could have been cooler. The next photo is kind of interesting. It's it's Ray, I guess, kind of in an action pose, right, with, yeah, with the lightsaber, and it's very obvious she's holding Anakin's lightsaber. They say she's training here. It, it's it's an interesting pose for her to be training in, and it definitely shows that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Daisy Ridley has done some serious working out between the last film and this one. Um, I definitely see some, you know, definition definition with her. I guess is the best way to put it. Yes, definitely changing her physique for sure. And then the third photo in is Daisy and Chewbacca, which is now played, confirmed by Junas Suatomo. 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 Yeah, he used to be an NBA player and stuff. Right. Used to be an NBA player. And, you know, it's it's the Falcon. You can't, there's no way denying it. Although, looking at the console of the Falcon, hasn't that changed quite significantly from the last film? Yeah, well, you're right. There's no dice hanging from the window yet. I don't know. It looks very, very significantly it does look, different. Yeah, it looks like that cockpit's been upgraded quite a bit. I, we have to. It says there at the helm of the Millennium Falcon, but it doesn't really it, look like it. It doesn't yeah. look, doesn't look like it's the actual Falcon, Falcon interior. It looks like it's a drawing. Right, of it. right. Like somebody had maybe put like a green screen something in the background to make it look like it was. I mean, it's much wider. Yeah, it's got more. Now, granted, I, you can tell because if you look at the edges of the photo, she's using a wide-angle lens that distorts the image as right. you get farther out to the edges. Um, it allows you to capture a wider range at a close distance, but it distorts things. So it that could also be kind of making it feel a little bigger than it is. I get but what you're saying. there's a lot of room between her and Chewie, and right. it's it makes it feel not like the cockpit I knew. That and I'm looking at like there's rocker switchers on the side, which okay, but then you look at the panel where there were rocker switches before; they're not there now suddenly. Uh, and that's uh, why okay. I said okay. The what what, what they did is they took out the bench seats and put in the uh, captain's chairs. <laughs> <laughs> like on an so. old, like on an old Volkswagen, they yeah. upgraded the Volkswagen. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's no longer one of the ones with the wood panels on the side. And the next photo, this is an interesting one. This one's got Leia, BB-8. It's got Poe. It's got Finn, and the other character who's kind of new, I guess, which is Rose Tico. Now Tico, I thought was supposed to be in the last one, right? I think her character hit the cutting room floor, if I remember correctly. No clue. I thought she was supposed to be in it and hit a cutting room floor. I might be wrong about that. I mean, she might have been hired just for this film, but I thought that was the case. Now, Eric, you pointed some things out about this photo that, that I had not thought about before. and Poe is turning into Han Solo. I mean, very much so. I mean, now that you've pointed it <laughs> He's out, He's got I can't the side holster that hangs kind of the same. He's yep. got the light shirt under the dark coat. It's kind of like a cross between Han Solo and Indiana Jones without the hat. You're right, yeah. 
And his blaster even is starting to look like Han yeah. Solo's blasters. And now that I'm looking at at, at Finn. Finn next to him, he kind of looks like a Lando Calrissian if he were to have like a general. He's got the purple pants. Right. That's kind you of what I'm saying. And, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So it's like almost a younger Calrissian. So they're, they're definitely playing off that dynamic. I think so. But I think, Gary, I think you're right. The most interesting dress in this entire or outfit or costume or whatever in this entire picture is not the three characters to the right. It's Leia on the left. I think she steals the show with the dress she's got on. It's it. I, I like the dress. It's I, a really I, neat design. It's a neat design, and it's not it's not overbearing or anything. It's not like Amidala, who would just be like glam to the nine. Elegant but simple, and I like it. It's it's very cool. It works for now. Leia I'm hoping that this is just Andy Leibovitz's photographing Take, style right. that's throwing me off. But I'm realizing as we look through these now for the second time. And I'm hoping this is not the case with the movie. It's very brown. Oh, yeah. Tonally, every picture we've been looking at has lots of brown. Mm -hmm. And that's not Star Wars colors to me. You know, I don't think brown. I think... You think run down, but you think metal. You think sci-fi. This doesn't... Grays and whites and blacks and... And you made a good point as to what these photos feel like. They feel like the fifth element. They do. They they have very much have a feel of the fifth element to me. Now, I know Gary, you disagree with that, but I just I don't know. They have that feel to it to me. The only thing that's missing is is uh, some bright red hair <laughs> yeah. somewhere in amongst all this. So the next photo was kind of like a, a it was a spread I think over two pages from the way it looks. I would imagine that's the way it looked in the magazine, and it it, it basically says that it's going on a Cantino blight because or no Canto, Canto bite, bite casino. I might be saying that all wrong, and I'm sure Mark will correct me later if I'm saying that wrong. And, and there's some interesting characters on this first one. I think this is the left panel looking at it. This is the one that's got the head of the creature shop, which is Neil Scanlon um, seated Hold, at Holding the some bottom, little character. Holding some little character. There's definitely some interesting looks here. We got kind of a horse. I don't know what that is. Uh, it could be a Bothan. It kind of looks like a Bothan. I was going to say that uh, in the center there. There's also a girl that looks Have like... Have we seen a Bothan yet on screen? I'm um, wondering if we've... We've known. talked about them, but I don't know if we've <clears throat> seen them per se. Not on screen, right, Gary? We've... we've, we've they, seen were in, in, they were described in the books. Well, and we've seen them in video games, I believe. Mm. I'm not sure which one. Yeah, I was going to say, I... I, I swear I've seen one someplace, but... I want to say it's a video game, and I want to say it's probably the Knights of the Old Republic somewhere along the way, I think, had a Bothan. Either that or maybe uh, Force Unleashed might have had a Bothan in it. So, yes, I think we've seen them, but not the way you think. So the girl kind of left the center, or whatever you want to call it, looks like, to me, Masamita, or like a female version of Masamita. A little bit. A little right of center. And we got some interesting characters off to the right, you know, Hair seems to be a, an interesting style choice. Yeah. It's, it's very much made to look like an old Victorian painting, the way this does, photo yeah. po- posed, which I like, which is a cool, neat idea. And I do like the character that's on the far right of the first photo, and he's on the actually the left of the next one. He's kind of split down the middle. Looks very much like the giant furry character from Labyrinth, only without the mm-hmm. brown fur. But he's got that same kind of Jim Henson puppet face. Yeah, so, I agree. So he's interesting. Yeah. You're right. He's kind of split between the two. I, I didn't realize that. Yeah, and he does have that kind of weird like, and it's sticking out of the fur. Yeah. So the next picture over. So we're on the same kind of the opposite of the same page. I think looks like there's a green screen in the background. I just noticed that too. Mm-hmm. And of course, now we're seeing some weird dresses because now we're talking about the costume designer Michael Kaplan, who was seated in this this side of the picture. 
And I mean, some of the dresses are definitely out there. They're very uh, cool. They're they're interesting designs. They, you know, a couple of them definitely you know kind of grab your attention. But then you're looking at some of the creatures too, and I'm looking at you know there's this weird creature almost center of the second picture that's got like their head sticking, almost like it's coming out of the the neck of the dress. Mm, yeah. I guess is the best way to put it. It it looks a lot like the character that Simon Pegg had played. You had mentioned this, Gary from Jakku. Yeah. Yeah, from Force Awakens. And then the one next to the one you were talking about, Eric, there's one kind of center left, and he's got like four eyes and, and kind of a weird mouth. Mouth in that. the center of his head. Yeah. yeah, this does, it looks like somebody's trying to take like a casino idea and apply it to most Eisley, you know, putting the two things together. But with a sense of far more class. Yeah. They are definitely avoiding the most Eisley. Scum mix, and villainy. Scum and villainy. Like the mix that was in there of just B-grade movie monsters. Right. You know, with things that look like vampires and things that look like typical gray-headed aliens with big bulbous eyes and, and all that. And this is going for a sense of upper class, lots of money, lots of um, power. Yeah. And that's what I get out of these photos. You'll never find a hive of more money and power yeah. in one place. You know, like that's I wonder if they'll do a little play on that one. That would be kind of funny. The one I also thought was interesting, just to the right, almost at the edge... There's a woman that's got like a horn going straight back, but it almost looks like an Ela Sakura type leku, but it's 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 not. I don't know how do you say this. Not uh, flappy. It just goes straight back, yeah. which is kind of interesting. It's it, just like she has an elongated. It's like she has almost a xenomorph head. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Thank she, you. She, she's she's a cone head that doesn't go straight up. There you go, <laughs> cone head that goes backwards. The next photo I found <laughs> very interesting. This is the one with the droid. So it's got Anthony Daniels on the very left in his C three PO. And then on the right is R2-D2 and BB-8, and it's the droid department, Brian Herring, Dave Chapman, Matthew Denton, Lee Towersy, and Joshua Lee. And they are all on the opposite side of the room. <laughs> yeah, there's kind, of, there's kind of an odd like divide there. Don't you kind of see that? And I don't know if they meant for that picture to come out that way, but it definitely feel you get this sensation that like Anthony is over here. And the droid dudes are over there. You know, like I like, said, I could almost see that being a Photoshop photo where he took his, then people sat down and they took theirs and she had right, a tripod and just kind of put them all together. Yeah. I could totally see that happening. Uh, and the shop's kind of interesting. You know, I, I, I guess I never thought of the fact that these guys are probably all working in a shop somewhere on these droids and, you know, working together. Next photo. This is the one that kind of grabbed my attention. I go, looked at go for back though. Minutes. Okay. You recognize c because he's got a gold arm. Ah, that's oh, he doesn't true. have a red arm. He doesn't have the red arm here. So huh. the red arm was all for a one scene. Hmm, that's interesting. I, that's a point I didn't think about, Gary. Dun, dun, dun. Has anybody... I bet nobody's pointed that on the internet or nothing at this point. You heard it here first, first folks. Hmm. No red arm. That's interesting. Makes me wonder if they photoshopped an old photo of Anthony Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, right? <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> From Phantom Right? So, the next one I found the most intriguing and the most interesting, and maybe it's because it's black and white. I don't know. I like black and white photos. There's something nostalgic about that look. But in this photo, we've got Carrie Fisher. We've got the director, Ryan Johnson. We've got Mark Hamill, Kathleen Kennedy, and their dogs, Gary and Hamill. So, Gary, you're in the picture. You're welcome. Or, or no, sorry. Gary and Millie. I said Brett Hamill's name is a dog. I'm sorry, Mark. I did not mean to do that. So, Gary and Millie. And Mark's standing there kind of... I almost Napoleon-esque, right? Like, doesn't he look like he's... He's got his Superman pose going on. Right? Like, he does. And then you've got Kathleen Kennedy who's like, meh, whatever. She's chilling the chair. 
You know, you got... Rian. She's sitting there going, you know, George Lucas used to sit in this chair. Right? Not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. It's not me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got Rian, Rian Johnson, and he's, like a, He looks like a very young um, Stanley Kubrick in this picture. Yeah, almost. Yeah. Steven, and, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, I can see that, too. Uh, he's kind of half sitting on a stool, right? Like, yeah. either that or he's awkwardly squatting. <laughs> he's sure. sitting on some sort of bench behind him. Le- legs crossed, something right. in his hands. I can't he, tell what that he is. He looks a little odd to me, to be honest with me. Like, almost like they caught him mid-shot, you know? The dogs are the dogs. I mean, you can't control that. And then Leia's just kind of, eh, chill. And then what's interesting in this picture is there's a spaceship in the background. And to me, it almost has a feeling of the Nostromo from Alien. The oh, really? Alien. It's got that kind of weird vent. Yeah, I guess it and does. And it's probably because of how they photographed it in a foggy black and white setting, but it just feels like it to me. I couldn't help but think the doorway in the background behind Leia's head looks like Hoth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm like, I know they're not going to a, a planet like Hoth, but it has that like look to it. And that's a great, just talking about the arranging of the shot, sure. the fact that she caught this and that in, in, in this photo and yeah. framed Carrie Fisher so perfectly against that door. Oh, yeah. It just is so, such a good shot. And there's a broken fire hydrant next door, too. Is there? <laughs> yeah, on the floor. I did not notice that. Yeah, there's this weird thing on the floor, and it looks it's like a like broken boots, fire hydrant. Boots, gauntlets, something. Uh, I think I agree with Gary. It looks like a broken fire hydrant. Okay, we'll call it that. <laughs> next shot, this is probably one to bring people to tears, I would imagine. It's Fisher with her daughter, Billy Lord, uh, who is playing Lieutenant Cadel Connicks. It's it's cute. She's hugging her daughter. You know, and I'm sure it was it was one of those kind of loving, like, quick photo shots which we at the time didn't know would be so significant till now. Mm-hmm. And I like I like her shirt. Actually, I like her daughter's costume altogether. It's kind of cool. It looks the like the logo. same outfit from Force Awakens. It does. Yeah. And I'm wondering if she's going to keep the same outfit. Which she never changes bad. her clothes. She needs to wash that stuff. <laughs> well, maybe she's like Peter. It's the same shirt and pants in the closet, oh, yeah, you know, okay. like in, in Family Guy. So yeah. she never changed. <laughs> or mean, like Homer Simpson. It's you know, what it's what uh, I think Einstein used to do it that way. So Did he, he didn't really? he didn't have to think about. And who else? It's uh, like Mark Zuckerberg does it on purpose. They yeah. they have just they. It, I think my wife does it on purpose because all she has is transit shirt and pants. She if they don't anything else. have to think about it, it's one less thing that clut- clutters their mind. They yeah. spend more time thinking about important things. <laughs> Me, I have too much time on my hands. I guess that's my problem. Then the next picture is Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher kind of hugging, uh, you know, so really, cute. Obviously, they meet up in this movie. We're finally going to get... Oh, I would think there's going to be know, some so major meet between the two of them at some yeah. point. Um, it's kind of hard not to. And then one of the last pictures is, is Laura Dern. She's playing Vice Admiral Amelyn Holdo. And she's got this, like, pink, flowy dress with a long neckline up the top, a... Looks, Very elegant. Looks more like a purple to me. I guess it is purple. It matches her hair almost. Yeah, which her hair's got a purple hinge to it too. So it's a, it's an interesting dress. The only thing I'm kind of like, wow, she's a vice admiral, and that's what she looks like. Again, <laughs> I think she's out to a gala. I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> she's vice admiral in that all the time. I think the guys have a hard time concentrating what they're doing. <laughs> yes, now, vice admiral. <laughs> no, is she vice admiral for the resistance or the first order? I would think the resistance, but I might be yeah. wrong. On that. She's also known by her friends as Curtainback. <laughs> but that's just they give it's a nickname they gave her. Then we have the first picture of Benicio del Toro as DJ. That's all they list him off as. They don't say anything more. He definitely like, you know, he looks like he's out of Blade Runner. Okay, yeah, he's got the Blade Runner jacket going on. He's got the the fingers with inside mm-hmm. the shirt kind of look for Blade Runner too. And okay, so there's that element of it. And then he's got this kind of like yeah whatever look on his face. I don't know. I. I 
don't know if it's the character look or if it's just, again, part of this whole photographic thing. I sure hope Bel- Del Toro is not going to try to replace Han Solo. No. I That's what I yeah. worry about with the look of that photo. Anyway. Then we have this one. This The next one is Adam Driver. I thought it was kind of odd, at least the way he's posed. You know, I think he just, just like, they caught uh, him as he was reaching up to pretend like he was blocking or something. And maybe. He just, he just moved that way. You know, it's it, the cape looks cool mm-hmm. off to the to the left hand side of the screen, but I'm not sure I like the overall look of the photo. It looks uh, definitely like you can see the scarring and the oh, damage yeah. to the face. And Gary and I are pretty sure from the things we've seen that that the helmet is going to get destroyed mm-hmm. at some point. Then we got the the first order leaders: General Hux, Kylo Ren, Captain Phasma. I thought this one was interesting because Phasma is holding a pike here, yep. not a gun. Might be kind of cool to see her use a pike. Maybe a force pike, almost like Grievous. That would be kind of cool. Uh, I'd rather see her have, like, a, a Red Guard pike. Oh, I get what you're saying. Like the Royal Guard. Okay. It definitely is a, a change to Ren's costume. They're, the pants are no longer pleated. The cape is straight. That's not That was not the case in the last movie. And, of course, this does confirm everything we've talked about, which is Hux is still alive. Which we did wonder a little bit yeah. about after the Force Awakens. So, those are our thoughts on that. Um, you know, it's an interesting article. Definitely interesting photos. And again, it's all conjecture at this point. We yeah. have no idea if those costumes are even going to end up in the movie. No, there is. I mean, a- it wouldn't be ironic if none of those costumes <laughs> end up in the movie. I mean, seriously, it could happen. I mean, it's not above Disney to do something like it's that. It's possible. Now, there's an article that goes with that. Yeah. And if we haven't read it, no. and I'm purposely not reading it because I. I know I'm doing a podcast on Star Wars, but there's just stuff I don't want to. I want to <laughs> yeah. not be. I want to be surprised to some extent. Right. So you can go ahead out there in podcast land and check out the article in Vanity Fair. See but if it don't has tell more information. Us yeah. Don't spoil <laughs> it. No spoilers. Right. <laughs> okay. The next thing we wanted to talk about there was a rumor recently, a huge rumor for Star Wars Rebels, and if it's coming true, um, <laughs> it would be a big deal. Wasn't that his theme? Something like that? Uh, so, yeah. Oh. Okay, so the rumor is that Ian McDermott is going to appear in season four of Star Wars Rebels. So po- supposedly... Voice. Uh, voice, be. yeah. I mean, He's not going to suddenly come uh, out and yeah. be the fo- first photographic person on screen with a bunch of animated characters. Right. <laughs> it's funny when they get a, I'm the emperor! Like a realistic version of The Simpsons. <laughs> 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 That'd be pretty funny, though. Actually, it would be funny, but wrong, very wrong. No, he's gonna he's gonna voice a character, and the reason they say he's gonna voice a character is because he apparently was witness coming out of the same studio that Warwick Davis had gone in to voice a character he's voicing for season four. What was the name of that character? Plow Rook. Rook. Plow Rook. Plow Rook. I think it's play. It's supposed to be play. We'll play Rook. Oh, we'll, oh you're right. Season. I like Plow Ruck. <laughs> He's good. So Ruck. Plow is good friends with uh, Dillion. So. Yeah. <laughs> Are we going to Plow Dillion got, or is he, just Dillion Plow? I guess that's my question. He's got the shatter points. Oh, he does. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Here we go. Have to throw it in there. Anyway. So Ian McDermott could be there. And, and the rumor is, of course, if Ian McDermott were going to be in Star Wars Rebels, he would obviously voice. Wipe them out. Palpatine. Jar Jar Binks. Good idea or yes. bad idea? Do you like the idea of bringing Eman McDermott in to do Palpatine? I'm I mean, fine with it. Yeah. I'm absolutely fine with it. I think he would be bring gravitas to the scene, to the especially scenes. if they could get I mean, James Earl Jones to come back in and the two of them play off each other for one scene. And maybe that's the big finale, right? Bring yeah. Palpatine and Vader in and wipe out the rebels, the ghost crew, yeah, the ghosts, they right? Die. Like they're gone. 
Just like Rogue One. Right. Well, Kanan, no, they, you, know, well, you know they make it to Rogue One. Because well, yeah, of but they make it beyond Rogue One, but they, why not have them yeah. be the group that comes in and wipes them out? Wouldn't that be an awesome thing to say? Like, that's what led to the Rebels splitting and going off to Hoth and realizing they need to go into hiding is the Ghost crew got completely wiped out by Palpatine. It would give Vader. more weight than we've had most of the four seasons. Right. In- instead of wiping out the Ghost crew, he wipes out Kanan and Ezra. And that would be enough. That'd be enough. Yeah, That'd not be all enough. of them die. The rest go on. They can have, sure. you know, people can write fan fiction about them for years sure. to come. You know, you got the two Sith against the two Jedi. Yep. And Master, and, Master Apprentice, Master Apprentice. And they wipe the floor with them. I mean, come on, Vader and Palpatine would wipe the floor with them. Yeah, if you want to throw Ahsoka in there, that too, I'd be, I'd or, be, sure, I'd be I'd good be with right. it too. And or, kill her. I'd be killer. I'd you be want good with it. there to be some, some weight to the scene. Ezra, tempted by the dark side, has more power than they do. Oh, he could go. He could defeat Vader. Sure. But ignore, ignores it, and by doing so, gets weaker and gets killed. Killed. Yeah, I could see that. It would be an interesting scene. Because they have to come back to that stuff we had with the red eyes and the, oh, yeah. bringing up the evil creatures out of the pit and well, all the connections he's had. Well, open a, a, a Sith holocron. There's something to be said about that. That's not something that every person is supposed to be able to do. If they don't answer that in season four and they just leave that as an un, unresolved threat, I'll be really mad. <laughs> well, be prepared to be mad, potentially. So... Interesting to think about Ian McDermott playing the Emperor, potentially voicing the Emperor in I mean, if he does four. it, it's obviously going to be brief. Maybe, I would think you know, so, yeah. A bit part in maybe two episodes, you know, where they split up what he, his voice recording into these two scenes or something. It won't. I'm willing to bet it won't be a lie. He's not going to be a major character. Either that or they're getting Ian McDermott to say the alphabet before he dies. Well, that could be it. <laughs> and that's quite a possibility, Pronunciate too. every possible sound combination and right. we merge them together. And we're good. <laughs> Thank you. You could now die and we can keep you forever. All right, so our last one we need to talk about. This is actually non-Star Wars related, but I think it's a huge deal, and we need to talk about it. It happened as we're recording this yesterday, but in 2017, this is a big deal. At Phoenix Comic Con, at the Phoenix Convention Center, there was a a nice-looking convention center. It is a nice-looking convention center. I will give them that. They had a major issue this year, and I think it could potentially... Change cosplay. And right now it's only Friday. This show has two more days to go. Right. It's got two more days to go. But I, I, I really do think this, whatever happened here, could potentially change cosplaying forever. I really do. I think we have hit a moment now of no return. So a guy, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I don't like to make judgments, but a guy who is not smart. A guy who's not well. Who is not mentally well. I will say that too. You are right, Eric. He is not mentally well. Decided to supposedly dress up as the Punisher. At least that's what he's telling people. Well, he called himself the Punisher. We he called I don't himself know the Punisher. We don't know what he looked like. I would love to see the quote unquote costume. Yeah. Uh, I question that a little bit. Well, from what I read, he was in all black body armor and his face was painted black. Which doesn't necessarily mean he's the Punisher. Do you know what right. I mean? Like, well, that's and that's what why I said. say I question it a little bit because, come on, we're, when we talk about. <clears throat> being genuine to our, our craft, right? I mean, at least put the white skull on. <laughs> I mean, this like, is a guy. This is know? a guy who didn't but care. Anyway. Who could have cared less about costume? He could not care about the costume. He came in. He knew that because there's so many things going on at a show like this, he could he he took advantage of it, and he could show up in an outfit that people could mistake as a costume, but was really protective body armor, and he was carrying loaded weapons. Four of them: four guns and a knife. Yes. Yeah. And throwing stars. And throwing stars and uh, pepper spray. Pepper spray, too. Yeah, three, three guns, two pistols, and a, and a shotgun. Yeah. Which, I mean, first off, that scares me a little bit because 
Who's doing your who, security? Well, first, well, okay. As somebody who goes to a Comic-Con with their children, that scares the crud out of me. Oh, yeah. Because it's supposed to be a safe space. It's supposed to be a space where families can hang out, you know? Be themselves a little on the outside of the world, but be themselves. And if guys are showing up with guns, am I concerned? Yeah, you better oh, dang yeah. well believe I am concerned. And I say that as a guy who does Resident Evil costuming with tech gear on and, you know, blank guns with me with with orange tips on everything. I mean, everything we do, you know, airsoft guns, we incapacitate. Uh, we use a lot of toy weaponry just because, you know, again, I don't want to make the police feel uncomfortable when we're around. But I also want to be authentic to what I do. I, I'm a cosplayer. I want to look like a guy out of the screen in Resident Evil. I want to look like I jumped out of the screen from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I want to look like a Mandalorian. I want to look like a TIE pilot. But I get there's 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 a trade-off. There's a weird trade-off we play in our, our industry. And so it's 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 it can create an unsafe feeling, I guess, mm-hmm. because we do look like the real deal. And when we do our craft, we are good at it. And we look like the real deal. Oh yeah. With that all being said, I worry. I worry about what this young gentleman did and what it means to our community because I believe as a 30-year-old man that came in with live loaded guns, he may have just destroyed the costuming community forever at Comic-Cons. I'm hoping, praying, that there's not an overreaction by the community at large and suddenly they say, that's it, no more prop guns anywhere. Right. Um, (coughs) I'm hoping. With that being said... I wouldn't be surprised if suddenly it comes down, that's it. No more prop weapons of any kind, anywhere, at any time. Wouldn't be happy about it, but I would understand where they're going with that. Yes. Because to me, first and foremost, safety is most important. Yes. Yes, you want to come and look accurate and you want, you know, and I'm talking as a non-cosplayer, I fully admit that. But if it means safety for 50,000 people at a show because they can't catch everything or their security is as tight as they can get it, something could still squeeze through and it's easier to implement an all or nothing policy and maintain that. I say do the all or nothing policy because I want to be able to go to the show and be safe. I do go to the other side of this and I, I agree with you though. And I, I, I want to flip myself. Now I'm going to go on the other side of what I just said. Obviously, security, to me, needs to be reviewed (laughs) at Phoenix Comic-Con. Oh, yeah. Because, to me, if they missed that guy, what else did they miss? Well, here's the Um, thing, too. I mean, I don't know the setup of their floor. I don't know. I've been to shows like New York where where they have much more control over things. You know, they've they've implemented very strict controls. Um, And I've been to shows that... You know, the door opens and people come flowing in in a big ma- en masse, you yep. know, and they haven't been checked or anything. Yeah. I've seen the range. I mean, we just went to Harrisburg Comic Con this past weekend. I don't think anybody checked our weapons, Gary, nope. right? Like, we walked in the front door, Tesseract in a, in a case, uh, walked around with some air, incapacitated airsoft pistols and, and um, plastic weaponry. And, and what else did we have with us? I think that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody questioned us. Nobody, you know, at the door asked to look at anything. Um, and I'm not surprised when people do. I, I am very open. Like, if somebody's like, can I look at your weaponry? Absolutely. You know, you want to put twist ties around the triggers that makes you feel good? Absolutely, I will do that. 
Um, and I hope other cosplayers are not fighting people about that because if that happens, please, for goodness sake, just do it. Just do it. I mean, like, it's, it's, they're not asking a lot. Now, I, I'll agree on, again, flipping myself. Um, if they're asking you to break the weapon, I've got a problem. Like, near Comic Con one year was asking you to break the triggers off of your airsoft rifles. Sorry, some of those airsoft rifles, I've paid a lot of money for. That Tommy gun, <laughs> anybody ever asked me to break the trigger off that, I would go crazy. I, I paid like 100 bucks for that gun. Mm. You know, I've incapacitated it in every way possible. It cannot function as an actual airsoft gun. So taking the trigger off, to me, would I, I would be horrified if somebody did that. And, and I do, there are cons that have asked that, and I'm like, that's great. That is a little extreme to me to be asked them to rip the trigger off of something because I made that or I bought that. So to me, it's important. In this case, <clears throat> at Phoenix Comic Con, it said, from what I read, he avoided all the checkpoints to get his guns checked out. Correct. It, it did say signs posted throughout the convention prevent these kinds of items, but he did avoid them. And thought the law didn't. And the rules did not apply to him either. Right. Which goes to the mental element of this. Right. Forget that part. Okay. I, I'm going to put blame on the con here. Okay. How do you avoid the checkpoints? Yeah. You know, to, to get the guns checked out. There clearly were the other entrance points. Or exit points that they thought were only an exit point. And someone opened a door and he goes, oh, there's my hand. I walk in now. I've bypassed security. I, you know, there was some way he wor he worked the system and got past it. I got, I got to agree with Gary, though. One thing Reed's got going for themselves at New York Comic Con, all traffic flows to one entrance point. Yeah, and that's the way it should be done. And that's it, what it, I'm saying. And, and people, so as much as people rip on Reed, they've got their security crap down. And I, I mean that. And I even at Star Wars, at, at Celebration Orlando, where I know a lot of people bitched and moan, okay, but one of the things Reed was definitely on top of, and everybody there will admit, was security. They were definitely securing all prop weaponry going right. into the con, and kudos to them for sticking to their guns in that one. Uh, re remember, Figuratively and literally. Remember going into ACBC? Yes. We had to go right to yep. a doorway. They, they inspected your guns. Yes. Your weapons and everything. Mm -hmm. And and we even, like, <laughs> I will never forget, because we were... A costuming group there. And I was like, do we have to check all your weaponry with you? And he goes, oh, yeah, absolutely. And it was funny because he laughed because we rolled in with – I took a whole crate and just oh, yeah. threw them all in. And I rolled over to him with a crate. And he's going, oh, wow, you guys weren't kidding. I'm like, no, we come we come prepared, you know. And well, it was funny, but, I mean, at the same time, he was glad that we were respectful of the fact that, hey, check all our guns. We want you to be aware we're a safe organization. We don't play that game. Right. You know? And, and – to make everything clear, we had a booth there right. where these guns were at. We yeah. weren't right. carrying them around on nope. us all no, the time. No. You weren't wheeling a <laughs> cart of, of weapons through no. the aisles. This is my cosplay. I'm cart weapon man. And that's the thing. Like, here's the interesting thing that we do a lot too. Is is I have we put them on displays. That we have like pegboard displays, and so I'll go check them all in at a weapon thing. I'll go back and we put them on the pegboard displays, and then we zip tie them to the displays. So not only are we around to watch said prop weaponry but we're also zip tying them they're not coming off that pegboard unless you're bringing the whole pegboard with you and then right. i'm gonna really know you're walking away with it so it's you know i man i this changes everything i mean it really does knowing now that a guy walked in now but my other question too is has it ever happened before and just never got reported by the news possibly there, i'm sure there's been incidents at conventions where someone probably got a knife in or got a something got in. A this, gun but in this, this armed up 
I, I don't know. But. I don't know. Yeah. And, and there's another article that I was reading where he, he was on the second floor and he was either texting or talking to someone on the phone saying yeah. where he was at. And that person had called the police on him. And that's, and that's where I go to. We have to be, as a community at large, vigilant about stuff like that. I am all about the citizen arrest kind of moment. You know what I mean? If you're seeing things on Facebook that are alarming you, I mean, this young gentleman, they've, they've, I mean, they've got quite the work up on him. And apparently he was on Facebook saying he was going to do this. Apparently he was saying he hates all cops. I mean, that's never a good sign, you know? And, and when you do stuff like that online, people have see it. Please don't glaze over that. I cannot say that enough as a, a father, as a teacher, as a cosplayer, as anybody in this world, when somebody's putting stuff like that on Facebook, we can't be scrolling past it and not reacting. You know, it's 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 scary. I mean, we've we've had a murder happen on Facebook Live. How odd is that? I mean, like, uh, we're definitely breaking new ground when it comes to social media, and this one definitely did that. Yeah, it's 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 no bueno. Um. <laughs> You're talking shows where you get even a medium-sized show, 30, 40,000 people. Sure. Big shows, you're talking 100,000 people. This is so, this is a big concern mm-hmm. for these shows. Absolutely. It, and it's going to become paramount in their mind now to be like security has to be everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. And so now, to me, in the cosplay world, we've, we've got to be vigilant. And and I'm also going to say this to all my cosplayers out there. If a con asks you from this point forward not to bring weaponry, just comply. No, there's no point in fighting it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get in a situation like this where this has happened, as far as I'm concerned, all bets are off. Whatever the con wants to do to make the people there feel safe, that's what they got to do. And we're going to have to suck it up. It sucks. And as some people it I sucks. saw commenting on social media made the point, sometimes these directives come from security forces that these cons hire. Right. It's not even the con people right. who are who finalize it. They're, they're, they, 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 they listen to other people above them yeah. too. And, so I, and I get that. Don't think that the con is out to ruin your life because they took away your toy gun or didn't want you bringing it and that's <laughs> it. Now you can't have a perfect convention. Guess what? It's uh, it's about a lot more than that. So and, absolutely. And another thing for uh, Harrisburg Comic Con, I don't know if you noticed or not, there were cops wandering around. Oh, there were at the convention at the same time. And it was funny because they eyed us up a couple times. And the one guy thought it was hysterical because at one point, Eric, you weren't with us. I I took off my tack gear, but I left on the hat with my shield logo on it, and I had my badge lanyard. I've got an actual like shield, like a cop shield that looks like the Agents of Shield. And some lady turned around, looked at me, and goes, "Oh, where do I find it?" And I looked at her, and go, "Oh, ma'am, I'm not security." And he, he, the cop next to me, laughs. He goes, "You and I got fooled by him." <laughs> he, he said he was he was laughing. He goes, "But it looks awesome." I'm like, "Well, thank you." you so he saw us earlier and had commented that he thought the costumes looked great. And that's the thing. It 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 really some of the cops like get into it. Like they dig it. They yeah. think it's cool. And then for some reason, and I, I understand why we make some cops nervous, and they end up following us. I've had a cop follow us around because he's nervous about what oh, we're doing yeah and i have turned around and, and talked to him and said listen we're just here for the convention we're not you know I, i've offered up here you want to look at my prop guns go ahead like you know i get it i, I totally get I, military cops i get it i understand why 
you would be concerned about that. Um, <laughs> but this 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 is huge. I I it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the coming days, weeks, and months in the cosplay world, in some of our costuming communities. What this is going to mean to them. It, it may change how we're looking at things. Right. It really uh, might. I think Salt City Comic Con, they have to be plastic, I believe. The guns have to be plastic, and they definitely have to have the red or orange. The red-orange tip on them now, they right. said, which I'm going to have to redo some of my guns now. <laughs> Come up with a tip for them. So, But, you know, I, I get it. I totally get it. I do. So it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting, like I said, over the next few years. Um, not even a few years, a few months, I think we're going to have a reaction from this. Well, this is the beginning of the summer con season, so we've got a lot of shows coming up in the next few months. Yeah, just the beginning. I know. I'm attending a bunch of them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so those were our thoughts on the Vanity Fair article. Those were our thoughts on Ian McDermott possibly being in season four of Star Wars Rebels. And our thoughts about the issue at Phoenix Comic Con and what what does that mean for weaponry at cosplays and cons and everything else. So, let us know what you think. Email us at galaxycast at gmail.com, and we'll be back in just a little bit. We'll be right back after we navigate through this promotional tunnel. You love her. You cherish her. But let's face it, she's a lot. I can't eat anything here. Because she's provocative. Because she's magnetic. Because there's always something. There's nobody good here. You give her the sun, the moon, and the stars. But for now, give her something to distract her. Cartier presents the diamond-encrusted fidget spinner. 14 karat gold embedded with princess cut diamonds designed to calm her because she, quote, has anxiety. So fast. You do you and her do that. I'm balancing it. She's vivacious. She's feisty. She told you she's thinking of opening a restaurant. And you're like, I guess. (laughs) Give her something to focus on because let's face it, She's been reading The Goldfinch for two years. She litters. She has to take cabs because her Uber rating is so low. When she's around gay men, it's exactly how you think it would be. And you know she's a completely different person with her family. Hi, Daddy! Intriguing, addictive, a way to pass the time. I'm talking about the fidget spinner. Hey, can we go? I'm really sick. Hey. Okay. Cartier fidget spinner. At Lombank, we're with you every step of the way. We sell your dreams. We're not a soulless monolithic institution. We are, but we use nostalgic imagery. It's walking into your dream home. You can't really afford it. We'll lend you the money anyway. It's kids graduating from college. With pointless degrees riddled with debt. It's happy picnics on the beach. There's sewage in the water. Family portraits with everyone dressed the 
same. You look like twats. Canoeing in the lake. By the power station. Catching fireflies in a jar. And watching them die. Cheering at high school football games. The kids are giving each other brain damage. These are the things our lives are made of. Interest rates only 33.4%. Long Bank. We're the American bank that truly more or less cares about profits. This portion of the show is being brought to you by The Best Things in Life, which are still free with minimum purchase at participating dealers. So as you can see, Star Productions is looking for sponsors. If you're interested in sponsoring our podcast, please give us an email at galaxycast at gmail.com. We'd be more than willing to put a commercial together for you, have you listen to that commercial, and put it into our own podcast or even create a commercial for you and your business that you could even use at a local radio station. So give us a chance to do your advertising for you at Star Production Studios by emailing us at galaxycast at gmail.com. Thank you for your patience as we navigated through the promotional tunnel. And now we return to the GalaxyCast. Hey folks, welcome back to the Star Production Studios. We are going to be discussing the latest episodes, for us anyway, of Star Wars Rebels, titled Twin Sons. This is the second to last episode, technically third to last, of this particular season, which, believe it or not, we have now known, can confirm, is the second to last season of Star Wars Rebels. That's hard to believe. So in this episode, we focus around... Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Maul. There is no doubt that is the highlight and and the end-all and be-all of this entire episode. And the whole episode basically revolves around the idea that Maul's going to find Obi-Wan Kenobi to exact vengeance upon Kenobi. So he uses Ezra, basically tricks Ezra, into getting Ezra to find Kenobi and reveal Kenobi to To Maul. lure him out. Yeah, to lure him out. And (coughs) first off, there's a lot of... There's some great references in this. First off, there's the reference where the message from the Jedi Temple, the coded message that Obi-Wan Kenobi sends out. I'm assuming that's what we're seeing in the holocron, right? at the be- Towards the beginning of the episode, that Ezra's basically yeah. seeing Obi-Wan Kenobi's message from the holocron. Now, do you think that was tripped by Maul, or do you think that message has always been in that holocron and it just happened to turn on? It's always been in there, but I think Maul turned it on. Tripped it on, yeah. Through the holocron, do you think? Like through the yeah. Sith holocron? Nope. Just through the regular Jedi holocron. Yeah. That's right, because Maul is a piece of both holocrons, yep, doesn't Just like Ezra does. That's right. And they're both are in... They're in each other's heads, right. too, right? Like, yeah. so... I mean, I almost take it as, like, they've got part of the other person's mind, as it were. At least that's always the impression I've gotten since they did that little meld. Yeah, yeah but because of the, cause the connection was broken before they could... Find out what happened. Right. Do you guys think this is kind of like a, a Star Trek mind meld? <laughs> you know, it's like the Jedi version that the two of them yeah. are <clears throat> melded together. I, I kind of see it that way. It, it's a force meld. Yeah, a force meld, as it were. So Ezra goes to find Obi-Wan, and of course he does some bad things on his way there. He First off, he steals a ship, an A-Wing. Uh, there wasn't anything special about that A-Wing, right? It was just a trainer. Just, just happened to be... Oh, it was a trainer. Okay, so I just... I knew it was set apart from the others. I didn't know if there was which, anything special about it. Which don't make any sense to me is why would they have a trainer? A-wing. A-wing. Yeah, like you an know. X-wing would be a good trainer, I would think, No, to their fleet. No, no, no. What, what I'm saying is, is they can't afford 
ships, period. Yeah. <laughs> right? And they have a trainer. Yeah. Which, which, if you go back in World War II, they had trainer airplanes where there's longer cockpits where two people could be in them and, and right. stuff like that, where they learn how to fly the, the fighters and stuff. I, I was thinking about, like, trainers, like, in World War II, they also used, like, old airplanes that they would use to spray chemicals on fields and stuff yeah. as their trainers until <laughs> yeah. till they could get you a real jet engine plane. So, you know, I agree with you. It's kind of odd that a real, that an actual trainer, first off, would be there. Second of all, would have hyperspace ability. And third of all, seem to be outfitted with everything you would need in any way. Yeah, right. you're right. So. <laughs> and, and two two seats in a fighter uh, that only had one seat. Right. Yeah. For the, the Chopper, top, which right. was kind of odd. I would have thought Chopper would have been in the outside cockpit for a droid. They never had a droid. Uh, in an A-Wing? In an A-Wing, no. Mm-hmm. That'd be interesting to look up sometime and see if that's the case. Mm-hmm. So we go to Tatooine. Now, Gary, you pointed out, I don't think we've ever been to Tatooine on any cartoon in Star Wars history. I think this is the first cartoon, yep. uh, other than, I think, Droids, which was officially set on Tatooine. No, 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 no. We did go to Tatooine during Clone Wars. There was an episode where Ad- uh, Anakin fought against, I think it was something, and they had sand blowing in their face and stuff. Are you sure it was Tatooine yes. that they were on? Yes. Hmm. I'll have to go search that out. It's an interesting question whether they ever went to Tatooine before. So they land on Tatooine, and Chopper and Ezra start... Well, first off, they run into sand people. I forgot about that part. Yeah, they get attacked. They get attacked the, by sand people, which... The funniest part I liked is you got two two sand people shooting at the at them, and the other one's over top of them cheering them on. <laughs> yeah, do sand people really need cheerleaders? I guess that's my question. They celebrate a lot. Apparently they, they do, yes. They, they, they celebrate before they do what they're supposed to do, which was yeah, interesting. They celebrate after two. And then they were really quick to blow a ship up. Do you guys notice that? I yep. was like, what? So they can't hit a pod racer to save their soul. Yes, you can. They hit one. Out of how many? They, they've hit a couple of them. Just, yeah, they, only, they, did. they only just destroyed one pod racer out okay. of all the ones they but hit. But now you're making my point. They hit a ship a couple times and boom, it's like it blows no, up. No, they, they, they shot it quite a bit. Did they shoot yeah, it? Yes, they did. did. Okay. Yeah. So, eh, all right. So they destroy the it, ship. It, it only takes one, one shot to hit the fuel cell. You know? Yeah. That's all it takes. <laughs> now I feel like we're, we're watching a Die Hard movie meeting Star Wars, you know? Well, I'll just go back to Pearl Harbor. There you go. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's realism at its best. Well, it, it is because they, they took out the Arizona one shot. This is true. So, so we we in this case we we see Darth Maul appear out of nowhere, basically, and take out and wipe out the Sand People. Now, do you think it was actually Darth Maul? Or do you think it was like a ghost of Darth Maul? It was Darth Maul. You think it was actually yeah. Darth Maul? Yeah. Yeah. no doubt. Well, he, the weird he left thing is, his holocron there, right, to to lead. Ezra, right to that point. To that point, so yeah. he could then track Ezra. That's true. Yeah, and that's the weird thing, though. Throughout the episode, there are times where you see Maul and you wonder, is it Maul? And then you see Maul and you wonder, is it a ghost of Maul? Yeah, yeah. well, it's like and I that think that happens several yeah, times. I think he's messing. It's Macbeth. I don't think it's ever a ghost. I think it's it's Maul mentally messing with Ezra. He's playing mind tricks on him and oh, making so him see. Things. He's appearing so yeah. Ezra can see him, and then he disappears on yeah. purpose so to Ezra lead can. Ezra along to certain okay. points and locations. It's like Macbeth. Do you think Maul has a general idea where Obi Wan is, but just can't seem to sense? He him knows and get the planet, there? but he can't. He can't find him, and I think it's he's masked. He's he's done whatever he's done so that Luke would never be found, and it's it's 
Well, didn't Yoda before Obi-Wan left in episode three say, I have a power that I want to teach you that nobody else knows? Yeah, that was communicating with the dead. Yeah. But I'm also wondering if it's some form of masking. Well, because Yoda's masked too, and then no one ever finds him on Dagobah. Nobody ever finds him on Dagobah, so maybe Yoda's learned how to mask himself. But it was... It was said that Dagobah, of course, it's the Legends series now, but uh, they, right. they've been saying that Dagobah was a, a dark side plant to begin with. Yeah. Right, and that helped mask. And that helped mask the Jedi on it. Well, maybe Tatooine is too. He just didn't know it all this time. Maybe. Which so. would be an interesting twist, you know, if, if Tatooine is I mean, is a they dark kind of imply it in the trilogy because, like, there is bounty hunters there and everything. I mean, it's not a happy place. Yeah, they no. don't. They don't say come out straight and say it's it is Sith. a wretched hive of scum, scum and, and villainy. villainy. Yeah, <laughs> but that was just most likely. We must be cautious, right? It, it it could be. I did like the reaction of the Tuscans when they saw the lightsaber laid up. With, yeah, with Maul, which harkens back to Attack of the Clones when uh, Anakin wiped out the the Tuscan group. Right. Yeah, there was a definitely look of like a change of fear almost yeah. when they yeah. saw the lightsabers. Yeah. And they knew they were doomed almost at that point, which I, that was interesting. That that you got a, a sense that the Sand People understood the the power behind that lightsaber. Yep, maybe. So, a long story short, in their search to find Obi Wan, and Ezra searches and searches and searches, and of course he goes across the desert of a twin sun planet, with Chopper at his side, and of course there were a couple of cool little mini R two moments or R two like moments with Chopper. Yeah, I mean um, they were ma- they were mimicking the whole. 3PO R2 R2-D2 arrival scene. on absolutely I think they were Tatooine and going through the valleys and I stuff. thought it interesting though that Chopper ran out of battery power before Ezra ran out of juice with well water. no <laughs> didn't remember the line C3PO said which was interesting because he said my circuits are nearly frozen oh that's right I wonder if the sandstorm so and everything sandstorm just kind of gunked him up, up and stuff inside a Chopper yeah, and, and froze just him up froze him up so I yeah. got the impression that he ran out of power only because he went well he might have just shut, shut down because he couldn't move no more yeah I get what you're saying okay so, so you Chopper goes first, then Ezra goes down, and that's when the cloaked figure shows up. Now, I thought the cloaked figure might have been Maul, but as soon as I saw the brown boots, I mean, we all yeah. we all knew at that point it had to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. What I was, like, taken aback by is how much Kenobi sounded like the old Kenobi. It was a great voice. Yeah. It was so a great voice. I wanted to look that up. That's Stephen Stanton, by the way, for those people that don't know. Stephen Stanton voiced the old Ben Kenobi, I guess is the way to put it. And he did a spectacular job. I would not he have... Did. If I had closed my eyes and not even have thought about it, I would have sworn it was Alec Guinness. I yeah, mean, he, it was he did pretty a great close. job. It was pretty close. So Obi-Wan is very sage at this point. I, I'm almost shocked at how sage he is here. Almost like he has finally resolved himself after the Clone Wars and everything he's been through and really had a chance to reflect on everything and just kind of very centered and zen-like. And He's probably had lots of time to meditate, lots of time to become yeah. one with the Force on this planet. And it was definitely nice to see that. that It was a nice bridge between the young Obi-Wan we know from the prequels and, and the Clone Wars to the old Obi-Wan we know from A New Hope. Right. And it really did cross that boundary nicely because while he acted like the sage Obi-Wan, the old one, when he did his fighting stance, he did the two fingers of the young yeah. one. He did some of the well, mo- I thought it was interesting he showed both styles because yeah. he did the over-the-head lightsaber thing and then he went into the... The Qui-Gon. The Qui-Gon yeah, the stance, stance too, which was the more like sword fighting stance. Well, holding the baseball bat. Right, the baseball <laughs> yeah. bat style. So there, were, there was a nice melding of styles there where he kind of felt like, you know what, he is finally... 
come into his own. He finally has grown up. He's not the old. Yeah. He never seemed. He's I mean, not he the was, young kid he was. He was know? never worried about Maul. He never seemed nope. to be panicky or like planning. Or he's like he knew he was, what was methodical do. too. Yeah. That's what but, I liked about it. Very methodical. But the one one point I I want to bring up is when Maul was talking about the thing he's protecting and everything. Obi Wan was getting mad. There's a little bit of anger there. Yeah, yeah. you can yeah. see him. You can see it in the like, eyes. You can see the like the dark side. I don't know over. if it was yeah. necessary anger though. I wonder if it was determination because he realized paramount to my safety is the protection of Luke. Well, and think, if it was yeah. more of a determination, like no. See, you, I saw that determination more of his yeah. him focusing on trying to keep Maul out of his head. Right. You know, because you could tell at that point Maul's trying to probe his brain about he, what is it you are <clears throat> like. Why are you here in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. There's got to be a reason, and he was probing him. I mean, it really was the whole Vader Luke moment from Return of the Jedi, where he's it like, was. "Sister." Yeah, you, you know, have he picks, a sister. Up, he picks up on it. It was Maul yeah. was doing the same digging. Right, but and even then, Luke was going through the dark side right there, and then uh, Obi Wan was doing it again in this one, just like he did in uh, uh, Phantom Menace. Yep, I, I just it was a cool scene. I liked, I, I liked how Maul kind of probed around trying to figure it out. I also thought it was interesting that Obi Wan very quickly told Ezra, "Leave, you, yeah, leave. Like, get out of here. You don't need to protect me. I'm good. It's okay. I knew Maul was coming. I'd prepared for this for a long time." So it tells me that Obi-Wan somehow knew, even after the Clone Wars, even after everything that had happened, he knew Maul was still alive. Well, again, when the Force came, you know, the Force hide, hides the dark side. But when Maul came back, he wasn't really... A dark court, side person. Yeah, right. So he probably sensed them that way. Right. So, I, you know, I just thought it was interesting that he kind of knew that at some point he'd be facing Darth Maul again. Yeah. So Ezra leaves. Of course, I thought it was cool that Chopper had his own little seat on the Dianoga. Yeah. So that, not a Dianoga, the Dubek. The Dubek. And so everybody got a chance to see a Dubek again, finally. And Obi-Wan very kind of graciously waits for Maul to show up. Well, kind of talk to him and show up. And it was interesting that Maul lights up his lightsaber and Kenobi, without even blinking, just flicks his on like he knew it was coming. Well, he never did that until after uh, Maul took out the, the fire and started That's right, kicked started up the going. fire. Yep. And it didn't last long. It was I, it was a samurai-style fight. It in, was. In a, I was expecting like an epic, like, yeah. you know, five-minute duel. In a traditional samurai fight, it's v- economy of moves, very few, and one person will end up dead within less than 10 seconds. And it also goes to show you that Maul never became a master. No. Obi-Wan did. No, Obi-Wan yeah. did. So did you guys think that was a good choice or a bad choice there, having that almost samurai-style quick done and one and done over with kind well, of I, fight? I liked it, and I didn't like it. Okay. I wanted to see an epic lightsaber yeah, battle between, I did too. between Maul and somebody. You know, it, 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 Well, to me, it wasn't Obi-Wan that I was interested in. We've had that fight. I was interested in seeing Maul fight Vader once. Right. I, I wanted it, right. and we're never gonna, we're not going to get <laughs> we're it. We're never going to get that. Again, we're not going to. We had the chance, and again, we don't get it. So yeah. it's like twice now, I felt like it was missed opportunities. Like, I thought Maul in the original trilogy would have been a great character to constantly be a villain to build up and be taken out by Vader in the end. And it would have been this great story arc, and they killed him off in the first movie. Then when he came back for clone wars i'm like okay they could build them up again but there's no vader so we're still not going to get that fight well, then it, when rebels finally came out and i knew vader existed and then they put maul in again i'm like maybe we're finally going to get that dang fight and sure enough once again we don't get it, it well, don't you, it, it, it would have been nice if it was just anakin against uh maul i would have been yeah. okay with that 
you know, but they never they dropped the ball on that too. But don't you think that's exactly what they were banking on? Is everybody would hope that that Darth Vader Darth Maul fight would happen, just for the general, you know, just for the general interest, and then nah, we're not going to show you. We're good. Well, that's the thing is, there's many a time in the Star Wars universe that I feel like they make choices that the fans wouldn't make, right. and. Is it on purpose? Do they truly feel like we're doing this for the sake of story? This is a better story to tell than giving the fans what they want? Or is it this kind of, we know better than you, the way the story should go? And, <laughs> see, that's the way I and, always see it. And it's, I, I'm back and forth. I mean, in terms of this fight, I love the way it went down. There was about four or five seconds of just intricate movements that if you pay attention to, there was about five, six, seven strikes and reflect, deflects and parries, and then the, the, the striking blow, much like a samurai would do. And the striking blow was right down the middle. I like the way it even symbolically cut the, the double-bladed lightsaber in half and powered it yeah. out. And it was just this, that was nice. But I also agree that it would have been cool to see the nice, intricate fight scene. However, I don't think the cartoons do the choreography justice. And so I'm kind of glad they went this route because I think even if they did a four or five minute lightsaber duel, I wouldn't have been happy with it. I would have not enjoyed it. The only thing I wanted to see, and maybe this is ugly for kids, but I don't care. I wanted to see the lightsaber go through them all. Not just the slice down the chest, but like the lightsaber in Maul. Yeah. Well, Do you what, get what I'm saying? What I would like to have seen is uh, the way how Maul took Qui-Gon out with the, the back. Uh, right. Yeah. It would have been nice to see uh, yeah, right. Obi-Wan duplicate the move. Yeah. That, yeah. that, that, that would have been yeah, awesome. have him do what Maul did to Qui-Gon in reverse. Right. I get what yeah. you're saying. Yep. And that would have been a nice homage to the moment and kind of a final ha-ha. Yeah. Well, gotcha. Yeah. Reve- revenge for the death of his master type right. thing too. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I kind of felt a little, I don't know. I don't want to say disappointed, but a little <laughs> down about how, how it could have come, come, you know, how it could have ended and could have had an ending to it. So, you know, overall, not a bad episode, but there were some missed opportunities, I think, in this. Ezra could have been used more than he was. I, he I was pretty felt, much a lure. Right. Yeah. And, and it he, felt like the whole was, episode was about Maul and, and Obi-Wan, yeah. and Ezra just happened to be a talking piece throughout the whole thing. I mean, it was a way to bring the Rebels crew back in and have them have eyes on the scene to connect. Right. And maybe that'll matter later. I mean, Ezra now knows that Obi-Wan's alive. But did he tell anyone else in the Rebels crew? Wait, does he go and tell Kanan now? I mean, that's, that's Do the they question. Not, is there going to be a moment when they'll be like, you know, what did you find when you went looking? I found nothing. Or will he lie about it? Or will he, you know, will that tie into season four if he goes dark? Or, you know, what what are they going to do with that? Uh, or, or knowing what they'll, what I believe, they'll do nothing. Yeah. Right. But. Well, they could have a flashback where Obi-Wan uh, mind wipes them. So he, know, <laughs> so he doesn't know he's there. Yeah. Type that, thing, you know? You know, yeah, that would have been interesting. I do like the ending. I mean, I know it's kind of cheesy symbolic, but I like the ending where Obi-Wan shows up at Luke's home. And you see a young Luke running. You see a young Luke running and, and yeah. Aunt Beru screaming call, for him. Yeah. Luke. And having, having the music. So to yeah. me, the, what's just totally set that scene was bringing that music back. I mean, that just took me right back to A New Hope when I was a kid. And it was just like, oh, Thank you, Star Wars, for like getting my childhood again. You know, and like, they continued that music on throughout the credits. So. Right, right, and that drew me in for the credits. I didn't stop it. You know, normally I, you know, up oh, we're done, and I'd stop, but that was like that was almost heartfelt. Like I almost felt like Disney got it for once that like that group of fans from the seventies and eighties 
want that. We need that connection yeah. with this cartoon. And and I kind of felt like there's a moment they gave us we needed. On the flip side of that whole thing, I worry that this episode became a crutch to explore Obi-Wan and Darth Maul, and that's about it. Because when you look at the entire episode, the Rebels crew did little to nothing throughout this entire episode. It focused solely on Maul and Obi-Wan. And we've talked about it. Some of the best episodes in Rebels has nothing to do with the ghost crew. It has right. everything to do with other characters outside of that crew. And, well, there's, and it's usually a main character from another... Right, it's usually this, one of the main Star Wars characters right, yeah. that we've been used to from the original trilogy. Yeah. I was going to say, there's a couple points here that I think are important. The first I want to know is, and maybe you guys caught this and I missed it, I didn't see the episode when it premiered. I did see some people tweet and message about it. And one of the things they said was, oh, I get why he's aged so fast now. Did I miss something there where they kind of gave a reasoning as to why he had aged? Because other people said they got something there. Well, one, the sandstorms that are on, on the planet will take a lot out of you. Because look at what yeah. Ezra looked like. And even a chopper. You know, yeah. Granted, he's a droid you know, and stuff. But... Um, but what, all of his training that he's been doing, uh, meditating and stuff, maybe he's been uh, contacting with the other side, and it's and it, that's a- aging him type type of thing. But it, is it a reference to this episode or the next two, the twin sons? What the reference about Obi Wan getting older? This is the twin sons episode. No, I thought. Oh, sorry. The, the next, the next ones become the ba- the Siege of Lothal, I think, parts one and two. Right. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. So I think we're done with Obi Wan. Yeah. There's no. There's no other Obi Wan. Yeah. So that well, and, it and sounded that's like somebody referenced. Okay, so I don't, I'm not trying to cut you off, Eric, but somebody referenced to online that oh, that explains why why Obi Wan fought the way he did with Vader. Right, I saw that. I don't get too, that and either. I'm, I get it a little bit, as in his the, look at his skill level now. The economy of movement. As you oh. get, the better you get, the less flashy you need to be, the less movement you do. So the do. change in style. Is the style changed. Okay. And so it's more about that direct fighting than it is about flipping and whatever. And or you Like know. you said, it's about sizing up your yeah. opponent as opposed to trying to, to overcompensate for yes. them. You know, does that mean suddenly the higher ground doesn't matter? <laughs> it might not. So I think that's, that's okay. what people were. I get that a little more than I get the whole aging thing that I heard about. Well, the, the, the twin sons, you know, the baking of, the, yeah. of your skin and stuff, you know, that's going to make you look and I can and see stuff, that. You know, but. but now the thing we're not talking about is what I feel is the most important thing in the entire episode. If you think about it at first, you think, wow, after all we were put through, they brought Maul back, they went to that Sith temple, he, they did the whole first episode with the combining of the holocrons, and mm-hmm. then, the, oh, you figured this was going to be some big storyline. And all it ended up being was him going to find Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan killed him. And you're like, wow, that's it? It's like you expected more. And it felt, I think, on the surface, like a letdown. If it felt on the right. surface like this accomplished nothing and it didn't tell us anything and yeah, it didn't advance yeah, the characters. All, yeah, all the big build-up throughout yeah. the whole season. This. To this moment, yeah. yeah. And then there's the last line that Maul says. Is he the chosen one? It, he asks oh, first. About that, yeah. He asks first, is he the chosen one? And Obi-Wan says yes. Maul says, will he avenge us? And I think Obi-Wan says, does Obi-Wan say anything to that nope. or does he just listen? So think about it. I think that was an enormous, gigantic, slap-you-in-the-face throw-out to 
The Last Jedi. And where oh, the story is going. Will he avenge us? Okay. The Sith and the 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 Jedi have been fighting for you know millennia or whatever. Right. Is he saying and th- then they were supposed to be the bring the balance to the force, and we've even theorized that that means the end of the Jedi and the Sith, and right. that they don't Both exist sides. anymore. Not that one wins, that right. they end. Was that what Maul was saying? Can this fight, can this war finally stop? Is he going to be the one to do it and take us out of this endless circle of fighting with each other? I get That's it. how I read the line, and that in the end, he found common ground with Obi-Wan. He, at his death, he realized that the fighting was pointless, that the, the, there was the taking of the power and the battle and the balances of the force and the dark and the light, and that will this all come to an end? Will he be the one to do it? And they say, yes, it's Luke. He's the chosen one. Not Vader. They say Luke. Is okay. the, he asks if he's the chosen one. And, and Obi-Wan says yes. See, I saw it as he sensed Vader's power, asked Obi-Wan, is he the chosen one in reference to No, because doesn't Obi-Wan's... he say the one you're guarding? Yeah. He the, says. the one yeah. you're guarding? And yep. he, so they're, they're hinting that so Luke's Luke, the chosen, the one. chosen one, who's right. going to end it in where the story's right. going with the next two movies. So to me, that line, all of a sudden took away all the anger I had about this being what I thought was a throwaway to just the mall's over and that's it. To me now, that fight scene, those two meeting the way they did, it being very brief and samurai-like, and those last lines of mall are maybe the most important things we have heard in three seasons of Rebels. And is it possible now we're seeing a total shift in the Star Wars timeline here, or the storyline and the thought process, because now that's the implication that Luke's been the chosen one all along, and Anakin was a MacGuffin. No, he wasn't no, the chosen one. No, no, Anakin gave a- birth a- to Luke. Yeah, Anakin had to be there, and he was. But remember the argument that the Qui Gon had was that he saw that Anakin was the chosen one. He he stood before the council and said, "You have to see this. He is the chosen one." Right. At the time, he was. Then he I turned. Mean, yeah. Okay, but you get what I'm saying, yeah. right? Like this. This implies that potentially Anakin never was the chosen one. And there's been that rumor, and too. And that Luke Skywalker actually is the chosen one, and they got it all wrong. However, some, you know, someone, ha- he maybe was the chosen one to give birth to the, to the I mean, chosen yeah. one. This, I has know, got I a very, this has got a very religious undertone, oh, like yeah. the whole birth of the Savior type thing. Mm-hmm. And even the person who helps give birth to the Savior is still important. Well, it's like saying that, that you know, Christianity, yeah. Mary Magdalene Mary. is just as, or sorry, Mary, the mother, not Mary Magdalene, yeah. but Mary, the mother is just as important as Jesus himself, which, and there's a lot of religions that say that because uh, Buddhist parents were considered deemed very important to the Buddhist and religion. Both same thing with the Muslim religion. Uh, the, uh, the Jedi and the Sith in the Star Wars universe are treated very much like religions. Right. So, so I, I could see, our, yeah. You know, this is what, and then we got the line from the trailer, the Jedi must end. And I also go back to what Yoda always says, which is the dark side always clouds things. So if the chosen one has always been a Sith, it would be very clouded as to which chosen one it is. And that could be clouding a Jedi even being the chosen one. I mean, this is cool. It's interesting. But to me, cool. those last brief I moments. I totally forgot about that moment until you brought that up. That, to me, was the hinge point of not just that episode, but what could be major, major plot points in the entire Star Wars universe. Yeah, that's and, true. And, and, and actually, just those couple of lines. That's true. And I actually think he said he will avenge us. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he will avenge yeah. us. I thought he asked Obi-Wan, will he avenge us? But I'll have to watch it no, again. I think, I think he said he, he will avenge us. Which might lead to what you've and been he says, saying oh, all yeah. along, Gary, which is your hope has always been Luke turn that Luke will side. turn to the dark side. Maybe Luke turns to the dark side. So when but he why? says he's the last of the Jedi, 
He's going to just give in to the Sith and, right. and join in. I don't know. But and it's, 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 and it's going to take Kyle, Ray, and uh, Finn. Finn, Finn, you think, to get, yeah. take him down? Yeah. And Poe yeah. po coming in looking all dashing. Yeah. Uh, but that would be so cool. And then how... Could you imagine a scene where Poe's flying in with an X-Wing, taking blasts, and Luke's got his hand up in the blast. Sure. Just shooting oh, I, I could totally see. <laughs> yeah. Almost I, like a Mace Windu kind of moment yeah. where he's, they, you know... They, 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 they goes like this, and uh, Poe has to eject out eject, of the... Eject. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he crushes But the here's X-Wing. the other part, too, and this is where I... I you know, when you think about Leia in a in in that kind of a storyline, I could see where they might have been taking Leia in the route of like she'd be heartbroken yeah, to she watch was, her brother yeah. turn to the dark side and become their worst well, nightmare. We do have to mention the news now, which happened during our hiatus from our last episode. There has been the announcement that she will not be in episode nine. Correct. They, they have are confirmed it now. They must have figured out a way to tell the story yeah. and finish it off that they do not need that they don't need her. To her. And so. th- that means they're going to probably be finishing her storyline in eight. She's probably going to be. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sure. I don't know if they'll kill her. Or I don't know if they'll just what they'll do, but it's. I think they're gonna have a crawl in nine that's gonna explain what happened to yeah. Leia. They, I don't think. I don't think they that's... can kill her. A, they never filmed the scene, so they, I don't know how right. well they could fake it. And that's B, people who are sad over her death—that's heartbreaking to have to watch it and get something like that in the movie and think, "Wow, she's dead twice." Or you know, they're killing her character instead of letting her live on. Or that's why I say a crawl might be a yeah. better way to do it. You know, with the loss of Princess Leia, you want to start off with something yeah, like that. Something. Or... Honestly, I almost started crying over that. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, it'd be okay with me, but I, you know, uh, that's the way I, I think <laughs> anyway. But you know, uh, Luke, you like to see everybody. See, like dying, I so actually, okay. well, well Luke, Luke takes her out. Yeah. I get what you're saying. You know, because... I mean, that would be immensely emotional as a scene. I'd have a hard time with that one. I really would. Luke taking out Leia, that would be... Wow. That would just totally flip my whole childhood on its end. (laughs) I mean, seriously. No, because because he has no choice, in fact. Because she's a a force user, whether she wants to believe it or not. She's got the force. (laughs) Okay. So, so yeah. So, I think it was an extremely important episode. So, if you guys are going to grade this episode, zero being a don't bother, ten being a must see, uh, what would you guys give this episode? Eric, what do you think? I'm jumping right up to a ten. Okay. Now, I'm not giving it a ten for quality necessarily, because there were some drag moments. I can't say mm-hmm. it's a perfect episode in terms of storytelling, because the opening was a little weird. You yeah. know, or not the, the parts with Ezra and coming in was yeah. a little odd. Mall was fine, but I never got the <laughs> mall I wanted to see. You know, I have my disappointments. I never got the fight right. I wanted to see. I never got to see him take on Vader. I never got to see a story flesh out for him the way I wanted it to. But I come back to what we just talked about. I still yeah. feel that those last three lines are so important to the Star Wars universe that this episode is a absolute must-see for that reason. And I have to give it a 10 just because of importance. Okay. In my opinion, I may end up being wrong, but I think those lines are an absolute hinge point. And to me, it's ex- unbelievably important. Tara, what would you give this one? I'd give this a solid five. Oof. Um, it's not that. That's good for me. Okay. Yes, it is. That, that, it is. She gives a lot of ones and twos. Yeah. And zeros. Yeah, it's good for me. Okay. Anyways, so I I like the fact that it's almost like Friday Thirteenth esque, where it's sorry Nightmare in Elm Street, with the um, not knowing if it's actually Mall or not, but. I, I also like the fight scene. I do think that it could be different. Okay. Where they, like, actually show him getting sliced in half. Um, I do feel like there are some parts that, like, lagged, and the fact that the Rebels actually technically aren't in the episode is probably not a good idea because it's about the Rebels <laughs> and it's supposed to be about the ghost. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Gary, what would you give this episode? We'll give it a nine. 
Okay. I can't give it a 10, only because uh, there, there's the Tuscans churn. I like that. <laughs> I just That's within their character to celebrate. <laughs> it was proven in the first yeah, episode. I, I just want them to have a Sith cheerleader costume if we're going to do that. Yeah, you know? exactly. Or, or even a, 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 some pom-poms. Or even a sand person cheerleader, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the, the fight, like Eric said, uh, disappointing only for the fact that we didn't get the Vader Maul uh, fight or even the Anakin Maul fight. Um, Ezra was useless in this whole thing again. I agree. Yeah, he never pulled his. I mean, he was the equivalent of a worm on a hook. <laughs> yeah, <he was. laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. You know, when yeah. when the Tuscans are attacking him, he never once pulled his lightsaber out to, to deflect anything. Didn't use any force powers ever in this. He entire pushed. Episode. He pushed the Tuscan. He threw the once, Tuscan yeah. away with the right. push of the force. Yeah, but that, I mean, with all the power he's got, he uses very little of it. You know, that's the only way back. You know, there's a ship, right. and he's getting letting it get destroyed. You know, he's not even trying to deflect anything off of it. Yep. So that draws a lot away from me. But the the samurai fight, yeah, okay, I, I get it. And like Eric said, that leads up to a really good uh, possibility for episode eight. Absolutely. And it might change my mind on how the uh, the new new sequels are are viewed. Are viewed. Okay. Especially if you look at the fact that if that is where we're going, and and if you look at the Force Awakens as a setup, I mean, beyond the fact that it looks like a duplication of New Hope, and I know that bothers the two of you, but if it is a setup into what we might be looking at, which is what we're, then it becomes a little more critical. You know, when you look at it from that standpoint about Ray and about all the characters and the role they may potentially play. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very much going to wait and see yeah. where they go in episode 8 before I fully you, make my judgment. Do you think that could change your viewpoint on the Force Awakens if it's if it if this is the I, thing no, they changed to? No, because I still think they could have done these same same lead-ins okay. and not reduplicated the story. I'll ne- okay. I'm not going to be able to forgive them for doing a reboot equal. Okay. And, uh, and I still can't get past uh, when they leave Jakku. <laughs> okay. I, I lose interest big time when once they leave Jakku and they meet up with Hansel and Chewbacca. I was interested interest in that. Yeah. Okay. What's okay. your rating? So for me, I would have actually going to give it a nine as well. Uh, uh, for a lot of the same reasons, Gary, the, the Tuscans were kind of a weird thing. I, I, I was bothered by the fact that it's the Rebels TV show, but it became about Darth Maul and Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I know they wanted to tell this story. I'm just not sure. It, it felt rushed to me. Yeah, and that was the other part of it that I was going to say, too. It felt very rushed. And I think that's why the lightsaber battle was what it was, because I think they got to that point in the timeline and went, Huh, we're running out of time. Well, make the make this a quick battle and let's just get it over with. That's what I felt. I know that maybe wasn't the intention, but it came across that way. Like we ran out of time, so quick, just have a. So one this is slice, one of those episodes where you your know, gut instinct is to be disappointed about it, and I think over time it you'll appreciate sh- right showed more, itself yeah. to be more important later in May, and I say May with a yeah. big May there because we also may look back at this and go. Gosh, we we we're wrong. We overrated wow. that one a lot. Yeah, that's that's what my worry is. Is we're going to look back on this one later and go, eh, it wasn't as great as we <laughs> thought. But again, was. why did we rate it so high? Because it has no characters in it. Well, it has characters in it. We already have a connection to, right? And we have no connection to the rebel crew. Still, we have a little bit. We have a little I, bit. I of feel one. like I have more than I, I used to. The ironic to. thing is, though, the people I have the connection to, i.e., the Mandalorian that left. And some of the other characters that have left over time, I'm kind of like, but I did, you know, I had more of a connection to uh, uh, 
Oh my gosh, what the Inquisitor. The Inquisitor. I miss the Inquisitor. I miss the Inquisitor too. I have more of a connection with that character than I get this than I have with Zeb or Ezra. And that's kind of weird to feel like that, you know? I, I don't get that. Okay, for for the... I know this is the last episode of uh, Rebels for Season 3. Yeah. But so far out of the, the, the three seasons, whatever happened to the rest of the Inquisitors? Yeah, the, that's night, true. the They're seven sisters gone, and the brother. Yeah, they? seen nothing of them. I haven't watched the trailer yet for season four, which I hear gives off a lot of cool stuff, and I think there's a reappearance of them in the trailer for season four. I've seen it, and I don't not. see them in the trailer okay. anywhere. What we'll to look at? I thought, it there was, I thought they mentioned something about that being a celebration. Maybe it was just was Sarah Michelle Gellar at celebration? She was at celebration. Maybe that yeah. was what they were talking about. It was nice to see her again. Maybe yeah, what they were saying so. Yeah, so that's interesting. Okay, so those were our thoughts on this episode of Star Wars Rebels. Uh, when you get a chance, we'd love to hear from you. And as we always like to say here in the Star Production Studios, May the Force be with those who listen. To Shatterpoint and Jedi Killer Dillion. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed this show. Were it not for you, our loyal listeners, this show would not exist. We appreciate your time and want to hear from all of you since our podcast is by fans and for fans. Head on over to our website at galaxycast.com to find out more about our show. Write to the show by sending an email to galaxycast at gmail.com. If you have something positive to say, use the subject line, We like and use a show. If you have a complaint, make your subject line, You failed me for the last time. And look for the Galaxy Cast on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and other media soon to come. Carry on, wayward travelers. Warp Factor 2. First star to the left, straight on till morning.